Welcome to the Close Knit Podcast, a podcast that aims to hold space for conversation to be had about the ways we use fiber to process life and world events. You're listening to episode 38, and this week I spoke to an old friend of mine, Lauren McDonald of Working Cloth. We recorded this chat in my closet while Lauren was knitting a baby hat for no baby in particular, which probably tells you a lot about how it is that we became such good friends. We talk about how Lauren went from being the kid at the playground making friendship bracelets to studying human ecology, formerly known as home ec, to working in fashion in London, to starting working cloth. Lauren and I met about a month after she started working cloth when she was living in Australia, making sense of her place. Lauren taught a Sashiko workshop in Hobart and we discussed her study of Sashiko, the history of textiles, and she casually drops into her into this conversation her thesis, the corporatization of craft in the early 20th century with a focus on Depression-era quilts, which of course leads into a whole other conversation about fashion, gender, and a favorite topic of mine, the politics of pockets. What I love the most about this conversation, apart from everything, is the way in which Lauren articulates her place in all of this how universal craft is, and how we can all have a place in learning and teaching it. How we can contextualize culture in the global use of patchwork and the running stitch. Truly, you just have to listen because Lauren does a much better job of explaining this than I do. Listen on for our whole chat. Thanks for tuning in. And a huge thank you to this week's episode sponsor, Sugar Candy Mountain. Sugar Candy Mountain is a sustainable women's clothing line made in LA from natural fibers. I love the attention to detail that they take with their clothing to ensure it has the longest lifetime possible, from sourcing high-quality linens to using French seams and strong finishes in all their garments. They've eliminated plastic from their packaging, which is a huge win in the fashion industry. I'm especially obsessed with their linen jumpsuits and cotton gauze, oversized breezy tops for summer. Check them out online at Sugar Candy Mountain, which is sugarcandymtn.com, and on Instagram at sugar underscore candy underscore mountain. Thanks again to Sugar Candy Mountain for sponsoring this episode of the Close Knit Podcast. It's Ani of Close Knit, and I'm here with Lauren McDonald of Working Cloth. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Ani. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here inside my closet. It's very comfortable. <laughs> that is a generous, that is generous. No, idea. we've got like cushions, I've got knitting, I'm very, very happy to be here. True, true. Just to like set the scene, uh, Lauren is visiting me in Oakland, California, and uh, we tried recording on my bed. And it was just very, it just didn't sound good. It's a bit echoey, for sure. Uh, so we moved into the closet, which, to be fair, is like a pretty, again, generous closet. It's but... a professional recording space. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, and we're sitting on the floor in here with the body pillow and some towels on the ground to make it really comfy, cozy, and very professional. It's super professional. Very professional. And I feel very honored to be here in this space with you, Ani. <laughs> Thanks, Lauren. It's a really well-curated closet and also color-coordinated, which I'm consistently impressed by. Thank you. I know, I avoid it by like only having gray things. Yeah, that's another way to do it. It's like, everything I own is gray. Everything so. is gray. It's some navy, but... You are wearing gray right now, and yeah. you're knitting with navy. 
Lauren is knitting with some stash yarn of mine. She's making baby hats. I'm, yeah, I am. I should also clarify that I don't really know whose baby these are going to be for. It was just that Ani had really cute scraps that were quite nice colors, and they worked well for my uh, knitting abilities into tiny hats in the time that I'm visiting her. And I am so. in full support of this. I don't think you have to know what babies the things are going to be for. I mean, you also live with a dog. They could be, like, cute dog cats. <laughs> I also have a next-door neighbor who's, like, 15 months old, and he's, like, the cutest person alive. That's true. You know, it's only a few months till winter comes. True. Exactly. Exactly. So that's where we are. <laughs> um, but I'm going to ask Lauren actual questions. We're going to – it's it's always hard. It can be hard for me to do these ones where I have, like, a very developed friendship with my guest because – well, Lauren and I have spent the last, like, three or four days, maybe not even that many days, two or three days together, but we just talk about all of these things all of the time. So sometimes I'm not sure what things we've already talked about and what things will sound like we're genuinely reacting to them because we've already talked about them. So sometimes I wonder about, about how it will go. <laughs> but with all of that said, I'm going to ask real questions. So, Lauren, <laughs> um, how did you get started with uh, fiber arts? Um, I've been doing it since, like, I've been doing fiber arts and crafts since I was, like, a little kid. Mm -hmm. Like, I was always, like, the kid at the playground, like, making friendship bracelets by myself. Oh, yeah. Um, I think I started, I started sewing when I was, like, 15 or 16, and I made all these, like, really sort of naff hoodies for my friends and I, and they were, like, because I had an overlocker, and I was really scared of using a sewing machine, so I just overlocked everything. So I just made knit everything. Oh. I had, like, some real cool hoodies with some, like, real jazzy flannelette pockets. Wow. Um, very different vibe, aesthetically, <laughs> to <laughs> what I what I subscribe to now, for the most part, but um, mm-hmm, some mm-hmm. good teenage efforts. Then I did a degree um, sort of in textiles, is human ecology, hmm. um, which used to be called home economics. Oh. Um, so it was sort of textiles from a very like well-rounded perspective um so we did like textile science we did like material culture um which is a study of sort of like why people use objects and why they're why they exist at particular times and their sort of anthropological and sociological importance Hmm. um as well as like basic pattern cutting and sewing so it's like a very like weird little degree program yeah and then after that i did I interned for a while in fashion in London and ended up getting uh, a job like sort of through that and worked in fashion in London for three or four years and then um, quit that um, and sort of started working cloth as a way of sort of like figuring out who I was, I guess. At the time, I I grew up in Canada. I went to a university in Canada and in Australia, mm-hmm. and then I moved to the UK. Um, and I, at the point of starting working cloth, was um, living in Australia for like a short period of time with my partner at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't have a working visa. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a lot of money, and I was just sort of, I guess, trying to like it's hard to articulate, like almost bring value to myself or like figure out who I was. Yeah. Um, In that position where I felt like a lot of my identity, a lot of the things that I had really identified with, like sort of having a sort of like quote unquote, like cool job 
um, and like living in a place where I was comfortable and had a lot of friends and had like a steady income stream to being in Australia, like being unemployed. Yes. um, Trying to sort of navigate that space. Yeah. And um, working cloth, I guess, really, really helped me to do that, to sort of figure out what in making that I had missed working in fashion, what in what I sort of missed about my life and myself and also like where I kind of wanted to go with that. Mm-hmm. And that's when I met you too. Right then? Yeah, it was like a month after I started this. Oh my God, what? <laughs> yeah. Okay, because working cloth, just so you're, just so everyone is, the listeners know. When I, so I found Lauren on Instagram. She was called working cloth on Instagram. And I was, I was like very impressed by this very schmick, like very good looking Instagram, but not schmick and in like annoying way, but just really good looking, like beautiful straight lines, beautiful navy gray, white, like very beautiful aesthetic that I was like, Thank oh, oh this, is, nice. <laughs> this is like not a quilting aesthetic that I see or like patchwork aesthetic that I see like all that often. Like this is exciting. Um, so I... I was totally under the impression that you had been doing this for, like, a long time. Well, at that point, I mean. I've been making things for a long time. And, mm. like, my sort of, um, like, undergrad dissertation was on, um, like, the corporatization of craft in the early 20th century with a focus on Depression-era quilting. What? With, like, have we talked about this? <laughs> I don't know if we have or not. What? But so, like, I've been, and, like, through that, I sort of... Okay. The materials used in that time period are, like, super vast, but it's basically, like, people doing a craft through, like, their whole lives and their whole existence out of necessity or out of mm. habit or whatever else, and then it sort of being sold back to them, which, ironically, is what I do now. <laughs> hey. But um, <laughs> that was sort of though. what I studied, and I made a capsule collection of garments, like, using quilted techniques and mostly men's wear fabrics. Wow. And then uh, I wrote a paper. And then, yeah, so it's sort of, like... And it's always been something I've sort of been interested in, but a lot of the sort of quilting stuff on the market just doesn't really appeal to my sensibilities. Yeah. (laughs) And I think working in fashion, like everything, even like your bloody factory orders are like aesthetically focused. (laughs) So you like just get used to, I think, a level of like professionalism in that regard because I I guess I worked professionally in it for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So just came off that way from the get go. It's how you were approaching it because it's kind of always what you'd seen. Yeah, I guess. Mm. And and I do just really like when things look lovely. Yeah, (laughs) fair. And you're really good at it, so it's like you know it it comes across. Well, and I've had a lot of help, but to be fair, making it making it what it was. I think my um. When I started it, my partner was sort of a hobby photographer and, like, really sort of coached me. Mm. He was very into Instagram, so shout out to him for helping. Yeah. And then since then, like, I've had, I think one of the benefits of having worked in that industry and sort of, like, having a little creative crew of friends is that your friends are like, oh, I do set design or, like, I'm a photographer or whatever. And it's like, oh, you want to do this? Like, this is how you can do it. Mm. Um, And, like like friends that own retail spaces and that kind of stuff that you're like oh it like has given me really easy access to things that would have been harder had I been like Mm. coming from any other industry yeah I want to go back to because like when you were talking about moving to Australia and kind of being out of your 
comfort space again, yeah. comfort zone. Absolutely. I mean, that really resonates for me. I mean, very in a very obvious way, which is that like I did the literal same thing. <laughs> I've got very similar <laughs> life paths to anyone who's listening. It's been a bit eerie at times. Mm-hmm. Um, literal same thing. <laughs> but like, I remember getting to Australia and the first few weeks just feeling so aimless and I know like weeks sounds ridiculous like come on that's not a long time to transition but just feeling feeling completely out of water in a way that I had never felt before because I'd always been at least somewhat within my comfort zone with like you know I left I left my high school to go to college and stuff but everything felt reasonably in my comfort zone directional right right like there's a point where you're like yeah this is out of my comfort zone and it's really scary but it's also like if you go you know you're going to college or something or you're Mm. starting a new job that might be scary or you're moving somewhere Mm. for a profession or for a thing you're like this is a purposeful move right or a purposeful direction whereas I was there and my purpose was like I was trying to support my partner at the time and trying to make a decision about where I wanted to live and none of the sort of stuff was career focused or mm-hmm. creative focused or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. That was a weird, a weird little zone, weird little headspace. Yeah. Can you talk about how you used working cloth to kind of make that path for yourself? Yeah. I mean, in, I, in a lot of ways, it was sort of an, and like almost like an ego thing, mm. where you're like, yeah, so I'm, I'm in this country, like I don't really. I don't really know what to do with myself. Um, when people ask me what I do, um, I don't have an answer, mm. Um, mm. which was weird. Like I was sitting around a table of friends and it was like, oh, you're a doctor. Oh, you're you're an accountant. Oh, you're another doctor. And you're a doctor. And they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, I don't, I, uh, <laughs> a lot of things mm-hmm. that like get, make a, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sort of allowed me to answer that question. Yeah. At least in some part for myself, which I do think it definitely helps with your confidence. And you're like, I've, I've I do this, so I work in this because it's the most like frequently asked, most frustrating question. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um. And so yeah, that was. I think it 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 also I think um. When I had worked in fashion, I had worked as a studio manager and in production, so navigating other people's designs and bringing them from um, sort of like sampling point, working with factories to get them delivered to stores and sort of working through all the logistical parts of that. But I hadn't really made anything for myself in any kind of big way or Mm. or designed anything in a really long time. Mm. So it's kind of also sort of proving to myself that I still got it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So when you like, when you coined working cloth and said what you were what did you say you were I'm I said what's still on my website I don't think I've changed my like little Instagram thing and I was sort of very purposefully vague because I didn't know what it was going to be yet Mm -hmm. and I didn't strictly know what it would turn into right um and even now it's got like like I'm doing artist residencies and selling notions and doing commissions and working on shows and teaching workshops and it feels like yeah it's about 500 different things so it's just like a textile studio with these goals or like these sort of this sort of mantra yeah sort of suit my end purpose yeah 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 um so when you so when I'm I (laughs) when I found you on Instagram yeah um 
and was following you for a little while and um, messaged you about coming to teach yeah. in Hobart. <laughs> Can you tell people about that? Yeah. What you taught and... So, you were very kind <laughs> to me. Not what I was asking for. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I went down to Hobart for a weekend and taught a lovely workshop and we just hung out and I think you and a lot of people when you met me like expect me to be older than I am Mm -hmm. Um, yeah which I always think is really funny yeah Um, uh, I guess like quilt making also although like there's some there's some uh definite definite young ones in the game but Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. it is a genre of activity for the for the more mature woman yes Mm -hmm. um yeah, so I taught, and we kind of talked in some good chats, and then went back to Sydney. I don't know what... It was good. It was very good. What did you teach, though? I taught sashiko stitching. Can you tell the listeners what that is? I can. So, sashiko stitching is a sort of form of Japanese embroidery. Um, It's sort of... It's a running stitch, which is, like, the most basic sewing stitch of all time. It's, like, in and out, in and out. Um... And in Japan, particularly during the Edo period, it was used um, white thread on navy cloth um, as a form of mending garments and other textiles as a form of strengthening them, um, as a way to quilt them and make them warmer. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the centuries, it sort of has been transformed from a very a very useful, very working, cl- uh, working class act. Mm-hmm. Um, and the... The colors and the and the materials are quite significant in it, um, as like the during the Edo period, Japan was closed off to trade, except a little bit with Korea, but for the most part, very insular. So people had to reuse materials. Um, it was sort of at the beginning, like a time of, of restriction of poverty. There wasn't a lot of access to trade to new things, mm. um, and the colors that you could wear the dyes you were allowed mm. were also limited based on your class hmm. so indigo dye um and this is it's also like where the phrase blue color comes from whoa because oh it's my gosh. The, um if you were very very poor like mm. you'd have undyed clothing mm. but indigo like requires no mordanting mm. and it's very stable mm. um and it's very accessible so it's like sort of one level up the tier you know yeah wow there's so many sort of things like that but that yeah so I I teach that and I have taught that I've Mm -hmm. been doing that kind of stitching for maybe five or six years now just Mm -hmm. on on things mending things making things we sort of talk about um some of the patterns and the motifs that are common and it's sort of transition from this very like very utilitarian which I mean some people still use it for but it's also like highly decorative now yeah and um sort of some of the superstitions that go along with some of the patterns and the meetings and all the sort of fun, like, cultural vibes. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we talk about it. I think, I don't know, I'm, uh, what am I even trying to say? Um, I'm also teaching it from, I think, the standpoint of not being a Japanese person, right. as you probably guessed by my very Scottish last name and my very Canadian accent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yes. Internet listeners. Yes. Can't fool you. <laughs> no, no um, you can't. Which I think, and then like, 
you know, appropriation. You are teaching a skill that was utilitarian and used by the poor in workshops to make very expensive cushions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Um, which I'm wary of, and I like try to talk about and work through in the workshops. Yeah. Um, and also contextualize it as one culture's um, use of a sort of more global phenomenon that is embroidery and patchwork and stitching mm. and the use of the running stitch it's like the most it's a very universal mm-hmm. thing it's sort of I guess I quite like to talk about how like, you know how in all of the stories around the globes you can only all around the globe there's not globes I mean there might be but like, <laughs> around this globe there's yeah. only like sort of seven actual narratives uh-huh you know I don't think I know this oh so there's like I forget what they all are but like Within all of the stories that humans tell, there's Uh apparently, like, only seven different ones, really. There's, like, the hero narrative. There's, like, you know, like, comedy, tragedy Right, right, right. right. Okay. Should uh, Should fact-check myself. We can put it in the show notes. Should do a Google. Not to worry. Folks, do a Google. Um, But also that there's sort of, like, a few different things you can do sewing. Uh And that they're used around the globe in, like, a myriad of incredible ways. Right. By, like so many different cultures by so many different people Mm. when you get down to it it's sort of like this one universal thing Mm. it's like a narrative that we all understand Mm -hmm. yeah 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 i I just also quite like that you're like that like unites it's a universal thing like making Mm -hmm. and stitching and and i mean particularly in the history of women which we don't get a lot of credit for but it's rich and deep and powerful yeah yes it's really interesting because, as you were saying that, I thought about, like, the, I think it's more commonly referred, like, music is more commonly referred to as the universal language than, like, any other thing. You For know? sure, yeah. And it's kind of interesting to think about, like, yes, that is, I think that is true. And there, I have had instances of that when it, like... Oh, 100%. Yeah, where you're like, this This is the only way we can communicate. We're both singing, even though we don't, neither of us under, speaks this language or Correct. understands it. Like, we both get what you're saying. Um, or we're both dancing, because some of right, us right, don't right. have voices like angels, Ani. <laughs> <laughs> it's just you. Shush. <laughs> Not all of us. Or, you know, whatever it is, w- wordless music or something. Yeah, or we're dancing to this, and we both we both get it. But it's kind of interesting to think about that and they like think about that in the context of craft and maybe it's not our making and maybe it's not even really so much that it has anything to do with music it's actually just that there are these things that humans do like really fundamental things like move our bodies and like dancing or however it is that you're able to move our bodies body. right 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 everybody oh, does it everybody does it different ways true different bits of the body true you know but like everybody's doing it is there are there any cultures around the world that do not dress themselves ever. I don't know. I feel like I feel like instinctually I want to be like no, but internet prove me wrong. Right. Because I, I would love to be. Tell I would love to have internet. someone be like this. These naked people. This nation. But maybe they paint themselves or they decorate right. themselves in another way. Right. Or there's like there are some just like really fundamental truths and I yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But I like the I like the musicality connection as well. I think that's super beautiful. Yeah, that is really nice. But a clothing is such an interesting one, hey, because it's like, I think there's a certain frivolity, if that's even a word, like frivolousness that people associate with like caring about your clothing. A lot of people are like, but if I care about that, I mean, just, we were just watching Queer Eye. <laughs> 
So Lauren, side note, Lauren just showed me Queer Eye, which I've never seen before, which is like a real tragedy, obviously. Um, <laughs> and we were just crying right before this because it's such a tender show. <laughs> it's such a tender show. So tender. But oh my goodness. The, the reason that I brought that up is because um, one of the men in it that they're queerifying, <laughs> queer eyeifying, um, talks about how, cause he's in a, he's an app creation and he's, so he's like a creative dude, right? He's like, he's a very creative yeah, person. For sure. And the fashion expert guy talks him through how it's not clear in the way that he dresses that he's a creative fellow. And his, his response to that was like, if I take time thinking about the clothing that I'm wearing, then it's taking away from time I have to like be creative in other ways. I get, I like, well, and I quite like the idea of a uniform, but his uniform was not good. It was not so, good. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> but yeah, but I, okay, but, there are two layers to that, right? Like, uniform that you, that makes, gives you, like, power and comfort and... Of course, yes. That's cool. Like, uniforms are rad. I really like that there are people who really, really lean into their uniform. But his kind of notion, which I think is not uncommon and maybe even more so amongst masculine folks or whatever we're fed about like caring about your clothes the way you look is feminine or frivolous or whatever well and that's yeah that's interesting because it's changed throughout the centuries mm-hmm. um do you know like you look at the court of louis the 14th and those dudes were fabulous you know just like men wore high heels first like the silk brocades the awesome. indulgence the awesome. wigs um, mm-hmm. was sort of like peacocking. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in Western culture, that's not particularly normal, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's been like a real push. I mean, I'm like, I don't want to talk down on suits because like, God damn, do I love a suit. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're beautiful. And like, yeah. that, I think there's like a really richness and there's and subtlety and beauty and power mm. to the suit and obviously like it's a 200 year old garment at the very at the very youngest is it you oh seem like you know a lot about suits and i'm like i feel like we're just <laughs> tapping the surface and i'd like to know more okay um <laughs> well okay basically yes it is it's a garment that's evolved over the centuries in mm-hmm. various different ways like the current into like the current iteration of it is a very casual form of previous centuries dress Hmm. however over those centuries it's been like absolutely refined to suit and flatter suit the male body Mm. do you know what i mean like you get padding in the shoulders you get padding at your chest they tailor it in the back but if you've got a sloping back it doesn't show Hmm. like it is a very powerful garment in that it corrects men's figures Hmm. done properly Also, a side note, like, not often done properly. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, which uh. I think, you know, like, if you've got a belly, it, it mm. makes you look sort of as... The idea of it, I think, is to look as close to the ideal of a masculine form traditionally as, as right. possible. Right. Um, wow. And there's okay. not a garment out there for, like that for women, which makes me a little bit jelly. But, right, um, but it also speaks to, like, the rigidity of what we think of in terms of masculinity, I feel like. Absolutely. I'm just, I think... Mm. Um, absolutely correct. Obviously, there's a lot of bambin ladies and people who identify as ladies and people who identify as whatever they'd like to identify. Yes. You like you, everyone, you go you. Yes. But, um, yes, yes. Who yes. wear suits now. Yes. 100%. But it's also, I think, still associated with 
and like a white corporate idea of power. Hmm. Interesting. And masculinity. Right. Obviously. Right. Although that's like it can be subverted then in some really sick ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> did, did you did you ever read that um there was an article I keep meaning to like post about it because I I go back to it a lot. Um, it came out during the last during the election with Hillary and mm. Trump, and um, it talked about Hillary's choice to wear pants, suits like pantsuits that had that did not have pockets, and it talked about the political and gendered history of pockets. And I won't tell the whole thing now because it's like too much to go into. I'm so excited about this article. I know I'll, I'll send it to you. I'll link to it as well. Thank um, you. It basically was getting to Hillary. So she, her choice was to wear pantsuits that did not have pockets. And after situating this all historically and reading this and stuff, reading into all of this, it was making the conclusion that that was her saying, I have nothing to hide because pockets Ooh. were this sort of this sort of secret thing. Like women didn't get to have pockets back in the day because they weren't allowed to like carry things they weren't we were trying not to allow them to carry things when this is why i want to get the the actual Sorry. article because i'm like i don't know what the what the because you did are. have pockets but they weren't in their clothes you had like a little waist tie with pocket with like a little pocket belt right so it talked about that but now it would be like on the outside of your garment or it would be like something that was visible or that you had to physically carry but is this different um maybe yes know. but it's also like it's very like 18th 19th century right okay so like 20th century oppression of pockets mm, mm. fuck that shit could be a could be a different story <laughs> could be a very okay. different story well it just was interesting but right? no like, it's fascinating yeah also that is even if even like oh women's clothing no pockets like don't get me started mm-hmm. but um it's interesting even as a like as a political statement like i know jfk always had his sleeves rolled up when he did speeches because mm. it made him look more like a working man huh. okay like in it like People, I think the the way in which people curate their looks or have people talk about what they should be doing physically and what they should be addressing, like even that's such a subtle yeah. move. Yeah. And you wouldn't register that. You wouldn't see her and be like, she's got nothing to hide. Right, right, right. But you're like looking at her and you're like, oh, yeah. like that that's a total message to get across. Right. And maybe there's something subconsciously that's yeah. happening when you see that as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so interesting. So many tiny details. Um. Yeah, and I mean that that goes like again her decision not um to dress but differently than she did as when she's the first lady. Mm-hmm. You know, I get it's just oh my heart goes out to her and her pantsuits. Oh yes. Still. Oh um, yes. But and I I guess um you know, and Trump has fucking massive red ties. Mm. Like I mean that man's aesthetics has a lot to say to everyone. <laughs> I don't know this, if I want this, this is, gonna, probably not this the is about to take it. a dark <laughs> turn and I don't know that it. I want to go there okay, like how like someone yeah. if you're out there someone please write a book on mm-hmm. the subtleties of Trump dressing and what that means did you hear that listeners somebody get on to it it's not going to be me <laughs> no neither uh, neither um, so something I've been wanting to talk to you about for like a very long time basically since we met mm-hmm. in the flesh and um, and we got talking and we shared things about our lives and blah, blah, blah. And I'm mm. a very like, here's all my feelings all the time. And that, that shows when on my internet, in my internet presence and mm. uh, in my, I think when you interact with me, you just 
person to person (laughs) giggling because yes okay good cool agree um but that we I think we have pretty different approaches to how we put ourselves on the internet versus our like or whatever just how we put ourselves on the internet I guess and I wanted to talk to you about that that sounds good cool um yeah I guess I my working class as an Instagram operates very much as like a a business Instagram Mm -hmm. like there's not a lot of my personal life on there Mm -hmm. there's a lot of me like I'm taking most of the photos yeah um, I'm writing the commentary I'm making making the things and it's definitely one aspect of me yeah but um I guess when I when I started it as well I was um I didn't know what it would become necessarily right um I sort of was quite shy and quite insecure about my abilities as well. Like I wanted to produce something really beautiful mm. and that I was proud of. And then I could kind of come forward and be like, Hey guys, it's me. <laughs> By the way, this is Lauren. <laughs> it's me. Right. Um, right, right. As a, uh, as opposed right. to sort of leading with my, with yeah. my personality. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was part of it. Yeah. As in like just wanting to make a body of work that I was proud of. Yeah. I think when I was younger as well, mm. I, um, I, I modeled. Like, sort of professionally as a a late teenager. Mm -hmm. Um, I have always kind of been aware of people taking the way that I look or that I portray myself. Yeah. Um, And, like, judging me for that or commenting on it or just being a bit weird about it for many reasons. And also the fact that I was quite young. Like, when I started doing this, I was 25. Mm. And I really wanted to be taken seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've got, like... A real round, little smiley, happy head, and a very giggly voice. True. Um, and I'm very casual in the way that I speak, and I think mm. I was very conscious when I was creating it and doing it initially mm. to be, to have it not be focused on me, so my looks or my voice or right. that, and sort of focus more on on what I made and what what I could produce or do as a human as opposed to what I look like and am as a human. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Totally. Yes. Yeah. And I think is a question that I know goes through every person's head regardless of their gender, but I just wonder how much more frequently goes through women identifying people's brains. I that's a very good question. For sure. I don't know. And I think like particularly like it, it is a bit of a defensive move, for sure. Mm. Um to sort of remove yourself from being seen in that way. Mm. And not like, you know, like I'm obviously not like, I'm the prettiest and everyone will love me a lot. It is so great. It's more just like, I'm, no, I understand. I'm a woman, so that happens. Right, right. Well, and it's <laughs> interesting everyone. as well, yeah. the, age, the age element of it. Yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, like you said, I think I imagined you being older than you are or were back then. But, yeah, yeah and kind of, I definitely have like, had that happen sometimes where someone thinks I'm much older than I am and then when they find out how old I am they're like what or kind of take me a little less seriously or like you don't know what you're talking about (laughs) oh so much of the time yeah yeah um yeah I just I think and even working um one of the labels that I worked for was run by a husband and wife team Mm -hmm. and she was the creative director she was head it was her brain baby he did sort of the financial management some graphic design mm. both like really good at what they do mm. but she's like oh not taking me seriously and then she'd have her like 
she just like send something from her partner's email account and get like a very different response mm. and I think like even yeah. and I wasn't I think even though some of the suppliers and manufacturers and stuff were being meant to be speaking with me and respecting me and lots of them did a beautiful job and also I'm sure like I was fairly young and and in some ways very new to the job so like learning curves of course yeah but um also like in some ways you're just like so talked down to or so ignored right. or things that I kind of just wanted to be like no I can kind of come at this from a position of power where people don't know who I am or what I am or what I look like mm. and it's sort of I guess like is that sort of the confidence of anonymity um which I mean can be used for very evil things on the internet as well. Totally. <laughs> You're just trolling everyone as working because nobody knows who you yeah, are. Yeah, like no one knows who I am. Trolling. Just like <laughs> flying goose quilt isn't as good. Yeah, like, not a great intonation of <laughs> a double wedding ring, but like whatever you want to do, guys. Good try though. Good try though. It's really hard to imagine you being like that. Being what, a quilt troll? Yeah, or just like saying something not nice because okay, I, I'm I'm quilting earlier today and I'm like not doing a very good job of it. You're doing a very good job of it. And then that's exactly what Lauren says. And she's like, "That looks great." I'm like, I look at it. I'm like, it's wonky as fuck, but Lauren makes me feel okay about it. But also, yeah, I think wonky is a good thing. I've embraced it. I think in my life. Well, and I think in terms of like one of the things that I talk about because I also um. Uh, I've worked as a sewing instructor mm, mm-hmm. and taught beginner sewing. Yeah. And lots of them come in, like, lots of my students come in and they, like, hate it. Mm. Absolutely hate it because yeah. they were told that, like, they're just, like, told that th- if things weren't perfect that they weren't good enough. Right. Which is fair if you're trying to teach people to work in a factory. Right. Right. <laughs> Do you know if you're trying to teach them to manufacture goods yeah. for other people? hundred percent. But I think with most of the home sewers, they just like want to wear something that they can be proud of. Mm-hmm. They want to know how to sew on a button at the very basic. Mm-hmm. They'd like to be able to make pants that fit them. Yeah. If the pants have pockets that aren't finished, nobody knows but them. And that's nice. Yeah. And I'd rather have people be comfortable and trying and sort of feeling confident to try new things mm-hmm. than worrying about getting it perfect all the time mm-hmm. and I also am very much one for a bit of a wonky aesthetic for I love a crooked organic line I mean yeah. hardly though like not not to tell you what your aesthetic is but it but as like an outsider viewing your work I would not like wonky is not what comes to mind I mean <laughs> like ever well like they're, they're wonky to me they're not, it's, it's not yeah. like if it's like 89 degrees to, instead of 90 like for me that's wonky right. but for other people right. they're probably like that's yeah varying degrees of wonk varying degrees of wonk and yeah I mean again like if I'm mending something it's definitely with the sort of like I've been doing this a really long time so mm. when I stitch I stitch pretty straight and I mm. stitch pretty small Mm. But it certainly wasn't like that when I started. How did you start? Like, did, with I was thinking about with Sashiko because like now you teach. Who did someone teach you? Did you learn that yourself? Was that a school thing? It wasn't a school thing. Um, I sort of learned it actually at one. So one of the one of the labels that I worked at, I worked with a really beautiful beautiful print designer mm. whose mom was like this UK craft guru. Oh. And she was always, like, making cool craft stuff. Mm. 
And I saw some of her stuff she could work on, like, an indigo-dyed iPad cover, and I was like, that looks really nice. It sounds and nice. And then just sort of, it's so cute. Mm. Um, and I um, figured out how to um, how to do it, sort of from that. And then I researched it, mm. and I've always been... I've always been sort of very interested in the context in which we make things mm. and why and cultural associations and the meaning and yeah like very much more interested in like why Hillary Clinton's pantsuit was shaped a particular way in order to get a message across right. as I am in the fact that like she got it from here or there right, right, right. unless that means something socially where it's like she had an American tailor make it because she wanted to look like she was supporting American business you know like <laughs> yeah. something like that where uh-huh, you just like uh-huh. um yeah and I guess I sort of like got hooked into Sasha Cohen sort of like the like the meanings of it yeah um and the, the culture around it and um there's so many beautiful like sort of peasant born peasant born textile traditions mm. I guess in the same way that there are some like very very amazing food traditions mm. that like start very much like from like peasant farm tables mm. yeah so that's how I got into it and I just did it a lot yeah I get I'm quite obsessive yeah <laughs> as a human being uh-huh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> whatever Ani relatable, relatable. <laughs> no I'm not calling you out I'm just saying it's relatable I'm calling myself out it's like I'm like into something and then someone's like hi and you're like I just wait it's been like eight hours like figuring out how to do this like weird knit stitch that oh, I yeah. wanted to do or you like I mean you can relate to that oh yeah but it is sort of it's obsessive sometimes. It's, yeah. Yeah. We're the best, though. I like to think so. Like, of all the obsessions or, like, addictions that you are you might find yourself with, I like to think that, like, a stitching one is maybe not the most unhealthy. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but, like, it's, um, I feel like it's a very meditative practice. Yeah. Um, and it's a way to learn new skills and new things and challenge yourself, work your brain. Yeah. Um, I do worry a little bit about carpal tunnel. Totally. But I've got some incredibly slick looking compression gloves. Oh, yeah. Help me, me with too. that issue. Me too. Yeah. I'm, yeah. But you, I mean, the cool, the nice thing is like you've got two practices that complement, you know, like you, if you're going to get tired from quilting, you can move to knitting. And I know you're still using your hands, but at least it's a, it's a different motion. Yeah, that's true. And I like, I, um, get outside a lot if I can yeah and just move move yeah. around quite a lot yeah I don't know you're a mover mover and a shaker yeah that's true I make so much of this I'm like please edit out and I know you won't I'm not gonna I'm not <laughs> no, gonna I know you're gonna <laughs> <laughs> you're like what have I said <laughs> mover and what have I given away but Into you are enigma foiled <laughs> hardly hardly um well okay so our mover and shaker friend Lauren, which she is, she is. You do all sorts of stuff. You've been all all sorts of places, and you're always doing lots of different things. Um, your so your most recent okay, the most recent work of yours that I saw was in a gallery in Sydney, and at this stage, you had like <laughs> you had been like <laughs> being really badass and like doing all this cool shit with with um, Laura at Bobbin and Ink in Sydney to figure out um, circuitry in 
in oh, textiles. Yeah. yeah. And the the quilt that I saw was, or the patchwork that I saw was uh, a patchwork that I saw you working on at your house when I came to visit you like before, but then you'd like turned it into this cube that was hanging from a ceiling and had a light on the inside and you had taken that patchwork and sewn on it with conductive thread. Is that right? Kind of. Okay. So Laura and I shared a frustration of people who craft, who don't know, or people who sew particularly, who don't know how the first thing about how their machine works. Right. Um, and which is, is totally fine. Mm. Um, but also there seems to be like a real cognitive, like a cognitive block that's like, I can't mm. learn that, that's too hard. Right. Um, and I guess with like, with knitting, the technology is very simple. It's some, um, um well, there's no machine. There's I mean, no there, machine. there can be, there but can in be this a machine, case, but, there's but no. it is like very simple. Like it's one right. stitch. It's two stitches that do a multitude of things. It's like a basic code. Right, um, right. True. Ha. Oh, binary. Ooh, getting it in there. <laughs> um, so I think our frustration was that um, people sort of block themselves. They're like, I can do all this amazing craft stuff, and lots of them have really incredible professions that are like very science based, and they just like stop when it comes to mechanics, mm. which I think is often also a very a, a, a mindset that women get into more yeah. than men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we started doing electro craft, which was like basic, basic craft workshops, like making badges that light up mm-hmm. with LEDs mm-hmm. and circuitry, sort of like grade eight science. Yeah. Super simple. Uh, it was um, hard. <laughs> I took it. It was hard. <laughs> You're fine. I'll, I'm getting better at teaching it as well. No, it was fun. Um, so my work for the Directions exhibition was in collaboration with uh, a friend of mine called Alex Dennison, who's mm-hmm. a Sydney-based sound designer and composer. And the sort of interactive cube was her brainchild mm. for the most part. So okay. I built the cube and then she, um, with copper wire that we stripped back because we hadn't realized that all of the copper wire is coated so it doesn't conduct unless you solder it which is good if you're wiring things, but like bad if you like want to create a textile interactive instrument. Um, <laughs> Darn, I mean. I know. Jeez. Yeah, okay. Um, uh-huh. And so she developed this beautiful soundscape, and when you touch the cube in particular spots, it played, you could kind of play it like an instrument. Yeah. Um, well, and that's because you were completing the circuit, right? There were like two points on it, and your body became the... So you're touching the ground in the live wire. Yeah, so you're right. essentially was cool yeah it was really cool um, i talk about it all the time well and my current artist residency that's Thanks. just finishing up now mm-hmm. is sort of expanded on that in a way that i'm like way too excited about so i've been working with a school in canada where i'm from mm-hmm. three schools i'm um, one a junior high and two elementary schools that are merging together to become one mm-hmm. in 2020 um and creating a soundscape using recorded ambient sounds from the schools it's like kids running putting their boots on having a bit of screamy time (laughs) there's a lot of kindergartners which like after you ask what noises they can make and they clap and snap like two-thirds of them started meowing (laughs) of course quite a lot of that in there um and then interviews with the older students about who they are and where they see themselves in their community right and it is a series of nine different textile sculptures um that work in sets of three so one for each school Mm. that you can play and play with soundscapes on, and they're triggered using conductive thread and then little soundboards, which I got from Adafruit, which if anyone is in to 
based, like wants to learn basic electronics. They're mm. a New York based company and they're absolutely incredible. Ada Fruit. Ada Fruit. Okay. They were founded by this really badass MIT graduate female engineer. Awesome. It was like just perfect. One of the coolest. Yeah. Um Okay. Um and they make it super easy because I'm not an engineer mm-hmm. or particularly I'm learning. I'm yeah. learning lots of things about electrical electronics, but not by no means an expert at this point. Right. So the work is a series of nine sculptures mm-hmm. um, that can be split into three different pieces that come together to sort of like form that sort of like tessellating form mm. that is on the wall. Um, the uh, you press different fabric bottoms on it. Two pieces of conductive thread oh. or conductive um, fabric. Right. Touch and complete the circuit. So like it's they're connected with with thread and then you touch them and that completes it mm-hmm. and that triggers audio oh. and which is played with it from speakers that are within the sculpture cool so you're like boop, 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 touching it and you can kind of design your own soundscape and get a good environment an idea of what the environment looked like in these three places in mm. 2018 yeah and some of it is like we had the kids record things in different languages that they speak so it's quite a diverse Oh, school. Cool. Yeah. Um, and then there's some like there's some indigenous Canadian drumming. Cool. There's like some very, which there, it gets taught in one of the primary schools, which is amazing. Mm. Um, there's yeah a lot of a lot of really interesting sort of soundscapes that are or sounds that are general to any school, and then also ones that are sort of very particular to that environment, which mm. is super cool. That's super cool. Yeah. I love that. So that's what you've been working on lately, but can you tell me where Working Cloth is headed in the future? Yeah, I hope I hope so. So um, over the summer, I'm teaching workshops in Western Canada. Mm-hmm. So I've got one coming up at Fern School of Craft in Edmonton, and then um, we're looking at a Calgary location as well. And then in July, I'm doing a pop-up at Hold General in Victoria. Cool. Just a little pop-up shop of some quilted wares and tools and uh, a workshop Mm -hmm. Um, and then in late August early September I'm moving back to the UK to start um, a master's degree in material and visual culture cool so working cloth's gonna work right alongside that and hopefully get a bit richer from it yeah um I'm hoping sort of I don't know. I've really enjoyed doing my residency. I'm hoping to do some more of that, maybe some more sort of large-scale product projects. I've got a couple of commissions over the summer because mm-hmm. um, I, I sort of weddings and babies are the times that people feel like they want really expensive quilted goods. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's... Um, yeah, I think it's pretty, it's pretty as it started in that I don't have like one clear business model art outcome thing, mm-hmm. but it's sort of like a craft practice and a method of recording my progress mm-hmm. um, as a way of sort of hopefully opening up what I think is a really beautiful history, a really rich tradition to um, a much wider audience. Yeah. And even just hoping that like, People who maybe see myself aren't ever going to, like, become fanatical quilters yeah. or into textiles in any sort of actual 
way, but what is really meaningful to me are people who might take a closer look at the way that a scene is constructed. Right. Or notice when a material feels really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Or just like appreciate that maybe they see like a cantha quilt, which is like an, uh, like an Indian form of, of quilting mm -hmm. and be like, I know what that is. Like, that's really beautiful. And that comes from here mm -hmm. or just some, like a recognition of, of how wonderful and exciting and like beautiful textiles are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, <laughs> that's what I want. Yeah. I feel like that's a pretty pure mission and a pretty like, yeah. But yeah, it grows and changes. I'm like, that board of closing, what are electronics like? Yeah, I mean, but that's <laughs> and you're just like, cool. You're just like, I don't know. Uh, it's cool, but I, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see where that takes me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we all will, because we'll be following you <laughs> in a very non-creepy and very supportive way. Oh, you're always not creepy and very supportive. <laughs> I hope so. I mean, I'm like a little creepy, and I've kind of accepted that as like my... Creepy, but very supportive. You know, that's kind of my role. Question, real question. When you heard from me and I was like, come stay in my house and like teach a workshop, were you like, is this person going to murder me? Like, were you no, like, this absolutely person's not. crazy? No, I was like, I was like, she noticed me. <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> like legitimately, because I, I didn't have a big following. I've been doing it for like a month. I think I had run two workshops in Sydney. One of them was in my apartment with just my friends. That's hilarious. I like made my housemates. But again, like the reality. You're so legit. Uh, your internet presence was so legit. I was like, this woman is like, she's a London. She's like a. It was like a. It was something about like contemporary textile studio in London and Sydney. I was like, she's from London and she's in Sydney. Like this person. Yeah, she's yeah. the internet. The internet's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> but also, yeah, I was very, I was very aware of yeah. the fact that I was presenting myself in a way that, um, was professional. Or yeah. I, I wanted it to be professional. Yeah. Um, but when you you messaged me, I was like, oh, she she's noticed me. Like, <laughs> okay, and I was just incredibly flattered. Good. That's how I felt. That I'm was glad really, it was really nice. It it's, wasn't. Yeah. yeah, good. I'm glad to hear that it wasn't like I feel uncomfortable. No, not at all. I was like, I have to go do this. This seems awesome. She sounds cool. Good. Well, I'm um, really glad you did. It was super fun. That workshop was really fun. Yeah, it was good. It was first of many. Well, I mean, third of many, but like, yeah. More or less. Yeah. First big part. Remember being really flattered there was an archivist in that workshop and she was like super, a super cool lady and I was like, You wanna learn from me? Like, okay. Mm-hmm. That was right. That was really nice. That was yeah, that was fun. <laughs> You're just like, okay. <laughs> um, can you tell me I think I just wanna ask one more thing, which is textile artists, fiber people, quilters, patchworkers, dyers, whatever. Yeah. Um, people that come to mind as people you think are doing some really cool work. Yeah. I mean, everyone in Piecework Collective. Oh, I don't know who that is. It's like, a, I think it's like a show in New York that happens once a year. Cool. It's a quilt show. But it's oh, like cool. a quilt show where the quilts are like no shade on other quilt shows because mm. they have very much have a place and very right. much do some incredible work and there's some incredible artists working within that scene that I love but right and some of these like kind of cross but piecework collective um some very different aesthetics mm -hmm. some very different methods of construction but all just like incredible work mm. incredible frothing so beautiful mm. um and then I in London there's a woman called Catherine May 
mm-hmm. to live in the same neighborhood as me, and she was working with indigo dyeing in a jeans factory in East London. Whoa. Um, and making quilts from, like, denim scraps and stuff. Wow. Her work was super cool. Huh. It's super cool. Cool. She's still working. It's, um, I don't know. There's, um, in terms of fiber artists, there's so many. I wonder if there's, I feel like just, like, everyone in Peacework Collective, if you, like, check that out as a group, they'll okay. be, like, people that you're like i think this one i don't think this one this one. i think this one the most right because they're yeah yeah beautiful cool beautiful beautiful work i don't know if there's i'm like trying to think of now like in australia who's like doing some cool stuff mm. but i guess you live there so you know um you do some yeah and i'm like trying to like most of my points of reference are from london mm-hmm I'm, I'm like trying to think of people working in Canada right now and I'm struggling to come up with them but I'm sorry fellow Canadians and if you're there and you're cool shoot me a message and I'll probably be very flattered by your attention too yeah yes <laughs> that is generally how we like, all feel um, <laughs> yeah. most of the time yeah I yeah. get some weird questions occasionally not occasionally, like, did you why did you think you should write this to me person yeah. on the internet? <laughs> yeah. But True. rarely, mostly I'm just very mostly flattered. Very nice. Yeah. yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. That's mostly how I feel. <laughs> Nine times out of ten. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything else. I know in our in our notes to what we were talking about as we giggled over Queer Eye, we just wrote nuances of everything. Of everything. Which I quite like. It seems like that conversation would be short. Snappy. <laughs> the nuances of everything. Yes, definitely. Maybe a new podcast. Yeah. The nuances of everything. That Donny should... Lee. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It can be like how to have hard conversations with people you care about. The nuances of everything. Ooh. I also just feel like. Oh my goodness. It's just it's a black hole. It's a that, black that, hole. That comment field. It is. Um, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. In your beautiful, well-curated closet. Oh, thank you. I mean, I very much you know. feel like my voice has gone up an octave <laughs> over the course of this hour. Hardly. But... And we're, like, sitting on the floor with these nice little towels. You know, it's a beautiful situation, really. And I nearly finished my baby hat. Yeah, so look what you can do. Like, if you have a baby that needs a hat. There we go. If you need, if you have a baby, <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> Lauren McDonald's. I'm sorry. I'm working class. <laughs> is offering you her baby beanie that she's gonna finish today still yeah. probably while i'm at gospel choir rehearsal because you're nearly done that's the thing about baby hats they're so satisfying they're done in like two hours not even an hour maybe that's and then you're like done cradling and knitting them for someone else's baby yep yep no baby babies hats. here but maybe one day or something all right honey <laughs> <laughs> or for someone else's baby so many giggles on the internet many giggles on the internet <laughs> Anyway, thanks, Lauren. Thanks for having me. You've just listened to episode 38 of the Close Knit Podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider leaving a review and a rating on iTunes and supporting the podcast for as little as $1 a month on Patreon. Patrons get access to additional content and sneak peeks at upcoming month's podcasts. Thank you so much for tuning in.
Till next time.